0: Hi, this is Welcome to Self, caring for the human in the therapist chair. And I'm your host, Dr. Hayley Dequin, fellow human, clinical psychologist, supervisor and trainer. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn ways to elevate your own care and compassion. A place to rest, be soothed, and at times maybe gently challenged to think about yourself and your practice. A place to remember that you are human first and choose the helping profession as just one of the roles in your life. My aim is that this is a place of soothing, comfort, nourishment, growth, and nurture. A place where you can also welcome yourself. to another episode I'd just like to take a moment to thank wendy for leaving a review wendy says thoroughly enjoy Haley's podcasts very relatable and full of wisdom to gently negotiate the pointy aspects of our lives i think everyone can benefit by becoming a little more in touch with self thanks Haley and guests thank you wendy for your lovely feedback it really is much appreciated so today I'd like to introduce Jia Ying Chow PhD. Jia Ying is a clinical psychologist born and raised in Taiwan and currently based in California in the US. She specializes in trauma, PTSD, and hoarding disorder. She is the director of a group practice, San Francisco Center for Compassion Focused Therapies, where clinical care and research are equally emphasized. Jia Ying's clinical work is influenced by her expertise in compassion-focused therapy, her Zen Buddhist practice, and interest in somatic practices. It is with great pleasure that I introduce my friend and colleague, Jia Ying, to Welcome to Self. Hi Ying. such a pleasure to have you join me on Welcome to Self, Caring for the Human in the Therapist Chair. How are you going?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much Hallie for inviting me and I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Fantastic.
0: So I remember that you and I met through a mutual friend, our friend Grania, at the second annual compassion retreat in New York, didn't we?
1: Yeah, that was really lovely. We we, we i i sort of knew you like kind of like knew you but not personally knew you yeah. and then because yeah. Grania and i we were at this, uh, at ucl at the same time and so we were friends and then through her i met you so it just feels like that professional knowing you is like tinted with this personal feel so it's really lovely
0: yeah, it's really lovely, and it's so lovely to have you on today. So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what drew you to becoming a helping professional?
1: Well, um, okay, so whenever people ask me to tell about myself, I, for some reason, the first thing I would say is I'm born and raised in Taiwan, even though I live in the US, in San Francisco, but I am 100% Taiwanese. And um I started to to know that I wanted to be a therapist since high school, and I actually don't know why I knew, and it just it was just very real to me that I wanted to to know more about people's internal world rather than what they show outside. So yeah. I just felt drawn to that path.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then did you go straight on to study from school?
1: Yeah. So after I graduated from high school, I went to um, National Taiwan University for my psychology undergrads. And the fun story is that back in the days when I was still a young student, <laughs> as if I'm very old. So <laughs> back in the day, as I was still a young student. In Taiwan, there's not that much public um, awareness about psychotherapy. So my, my dad was saying, well, if you want to become a therapist, you may as well become a fortune teller. <laughs> well, no offense about fortune teller, but it's two different professions. <laughs> I just thought it was a funny story to mention, but I didn't care about what he said. I did it anyways. Yeah. Um, and I never regret it.
0: yeah so when you um after you finished your university what did you do then
1: well after I finished my university I wanted to continue to um because in Taiwan at that time you need at, at this time as well you need to have a you need to have a master's degree and the master's degree in taiwan is like a four-year master's degree wow. that includes a full year of clinical training and so that's the requirement to be licensed so then that was a no-brainer for me that i thought okay then i'll just have to do that yeah. so i did i applied for um master's degree, So i did it and during my master research i was um Uh, really interested in in trauma. And so I then I became very, very interested, actually, besides clinical work, I was also interested in research. And and at that time, I thought, okay, I want to learn more about research. So I wanted to to pursue a PhD. And because um, the things that I, I read a lot and I liked a lot about PTSD was done by this professor. His name is Chris Bruin. And he is in um, University College London. And so that was when I reached out to him at the end of my master's degree and asked him if he'd be interested in taking me as a uh, Ph.D. student. Yeah. And I I didn't know that he would reply. I just thought, oh, it doesn't hurt to just email somebody who may not never reply.
0: Brave <laughs> <I know>. steps.
1: <laughs> yeah. So he replied, and then I was very surprised, and then it it all went quite smoothly, and then I was able to go to University College London to do my PhD on tra- trauma and PTSD. With oh him. wow! Yeah, and that's when and where I met Grania. Yeah.
0: So you moved from Taiwan to London,
1: right? <laughs> and then to San Francisco. And then to San Francisco for my postdoc. Wow. That's so cool. (laughs) And you have a special interest in hoarding. So (laughs) what brought you to that? Well, (laughs) I I needed a job at the end of my PhD. (laughs) (laughs) I needed a job. At that time, I actually didn't know what hoarding was. And the reason why I was looking for a job in California was because at that time, I was trying to quote-unquote hoard a dead relationship so i met someone when i was in london and the last thing i knew is was that he he got a a a job in california so i thought i'm gonna hold this relationship even though i didn't know what holding was so so then i was looking for postdoc positions positions in california And uh, there was one um, three-year postdoc position at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, and they were looking for a postdoc to run treatment groups for people with hoarding challenges and also to do research in that project. And I remember having to Google to find out what, what hoarding was. Yeah. It's, it was so new, and it still is so new. And after reading it more, I realized, wow, there's a lot of um, a lot of um, association between hoarding and trauma. Yeah. And so I thought, wow, that's definitely very fascinating to me. And so then I applied. Yeah, and that's what brought me to San Francisco.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you sort of were following. Following, I think you said, hoarding a dead relationship. It's exactly. <laughs> yeah. quite a term, isn't it? Um,
1: I know. When, when I Googled and I realized what, that, what hoarding was, and I thought, isn't this what I'm doing right now? Good, this is meant to be. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> um,
0: so what's
1: been your biggest learning
0: in the work that you've been doing with people who struggle with hoarding?
1: yeah i I really felt like this is indeed meant to be. It feels like like it's such a healing process for myself. A lot of times we I feel bad saying that well, working with my clients is a healing process for me, but it is true. like i I learn a lot from helping them. Yeah. and i I can see parts of the things that i uh, I also sw- struggle with, with in very different ways in the topics that they are struggling with, yeah. even though the presentations are maybe very different, but the the processes or the the mechanisms of some of the things are very similar. Yeah. And one of the things that i I learned, i o- I always find that the best way to learn something is to teach it. because when you have to teach it you have to go through a lot of things internally to be able to to teach it to somebody else yeah yeah you really have to
0: know it don't you you really have to know something to be able to teach it but I think as well your comment about you know you, you sometimes feel bad saying that you're learning from working with your clients I think if we allow ourselves to we can all really learn and heal from the work we do with our clients in different ways
1: yeah yeah thank you for for reinforcing that yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you yeah yeah one of the things that I learned um kind of like was very beneficial was uh was about boundaries yeah a lot of people withholding challenges the very very obvious um issue is boundaries. Mm-hmm the boundaries as like in showing up in various ways, such as like, we don't like people with holding problems. They don't know what is enough or how to say no to a person or to an object. Yeah. And so learning to say no and learning about boundaries, we like involves checking in with ourselves. And so that also helped us to, uh, help me at least to 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 learn how to check in with myself to see do I feel good about this do I like this do I want to do this and not so much about should yeah Yeah. not so much about stressing uh stretching myself very thin just so that I seem nice
0: yeah yeah oh that's brilliant I mean I think you know many many people struggle with boundaries And all of us benefit from boundaries. Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And any other learnings that have come from that apart
1: from the stuff around boundaries for you? Yeah. So boundaries led to the learning about, um, like like I said, checking in with myself. And then also like through that path, it's like the next step seems to be inevitably self-love and self-acceptance yeah Yeah. and so you you learn that okay i i i have a feeling wow i and you learn to honor and listen to your feelings and you learn to be okay with your feelings yeah and that just leads to self-love and self-acceptance and like that was my biggest fruit and biggest journey for the first couple of years yeah. when I first started to work with people with holding issues because I I can just see how even though we see the physicality of this 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 mental health problem like we yeah. see the 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 stuff um, filled up in people's environments, but isn't it true that in a different way we also have a lot a lot of mental clutter. A lot yeah. of clutter in our body, yeah. in our mind, and that's just invisible. But it's it's actually very similar. Yeah. And, and how do we choose um, what to stay, what to let go of? Yeah. And recently, I'm also noticing that there, um, in working with this population, another very powerful thing is about grief. Mm. Yeah. yeah. In the past, I often thought that grief is about um, like having some like big loss and then you grieve for that big loss. But it's not like that at all. Oh. It can be every day.
0: Absolutely. Shows up in so many ways, doesn't it? And I and I think certainly from a Western culture, we don't deal with um, grief at all, really. We don't speak about it. Um, and I think you're right it shows up in the in some of the smallest things or what might seem like the smallest things and we can have these continual moments of just neglecting all this not paying attention I think what you were saying before about this process of checking in Mm -hmm. dropping slowing down checking in with ourselves how am I feeling this feeling is valid why does it make sense that self-acceptance that self-love leads us to be able to make different choices for ourselves, mm-hmm. choices that are more helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: Indeed. allows us to slow down and grieve the things we need to grieve. I think you're making exactly. really beautiful points there.
1: Oh, thank you. I feel very heard and understood. <laughs> thank <laughs> you for your suffering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that, that self-love and self-acceptance is kind of like, building a cushion internally for you to be feeling safe enough and supported enough to even feel and acknowledge the grief. Because grief is so so tender and so hard to bear. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I love that, building a cushion
0: inside. I think as a mum, I've always felt like I want to be that soft place to fall for my son. Yeah, having that cushion inside of ourselves we have a soft place to fall inside oh that's lovely oh (laughs) that's really lovely Uh you know when when I was thinking about having you on the podcast I myself had thought about hoarding in different ways and and things like you know I, I can have a bit of clutter at home not to the point that I find it distressing or particularly problematic um but I have times where I'll do decluttering and I know I get caught in that oh but this thing is you know when I attach all this meaning to things and then I have to feel like I have to be quite you know strong in terms of no I need to move these out of my life now they no longer need to be with me um but also I was thinking about you know as helping professionals or really anybody at work how might there be ways that hoarding shows up for us at work and what impact might that have what are some of the things that people could be mindful of in terms of recognizing hoarding behaviors in themselves and their workplaces? Because I'm sure there would be ways this shows up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for 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 opening up this 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 conversation, this topic. I, I, I can't emphasize enough that hoarding is not just about the physical stuff. Yeah. and that's even that's also true so true for people with that we we now call um diagnosed with uh, holding disorder yeah. even though they have physical stuff but it's never just about the physical stuff mm-hmm. actually the physical stuff is an outcome of what's going on internally in the psychology. Yeah. Yeah. And we do even even if we don't have physical clutter, we we can also share a lot of quote unquote hoarding traits or holding tendencies. Like yeah. speaking for myself, I have a tendency to hoard projects mm. and, and responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> I I love to be in control. And I have like I am curious and interested in different things, and I see potential in different things, and I get excited and I say yes to things. Yeah. And then I taste the consequence. And -hmm. then I thought, all right, I have to learn to let some of these responsibilities go. I need to learn to delegate. Yeah. And it's it's that the responsibility piece is so. So, so similar to what I see in my, in my clients who have holding issues, for instance, they can be looking at like some plastic items mm-hmm. and they feel so responsible for the Mother Earth. They don't want to put it in the, in the landfill. Yeah. And so that they'd rather keep it or they want to find good homes for it. And that kind of responsibility to want to save everybody. I can also see that happens to a lot of helping professionals. Mm -hmm. Like I I cannot let this, like some if some clients call call you and say, well, do you have a, a, are you still taking new clients? And maybe you are, maybe you are very full, but this person really sounds like somebody that you can help, then you I have the tendency to, to fit them in. And then a couple of days later, when I'm like really busy with overflowing schedule activities, then I just regret why why do I have so many clients? Not that I regret taking any of them, but it's just that I, I can take more than what I can um, I can take more that sac- sacrifice other areas of my life because I feel responsible. I feel like I have to help.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think that is um, a common problem, particularly during this pandemic. You know, when I'm supervising people, I hear this a lot around, you know, but I need to take them. There's nobody else available. This real over sense of responsibility. And I think we do have to be really mindful because you can't just keep taking on more and more people and expect that to be sustainable. Right. Um, I think that's a really good point. And just going back to what you were saying about the, you know, the landfill that this sense of responsibility I can relate so much to that when I'm decluttering I'm like I have to find somebody else that will have this because I don't want to put it in landfill it just feels so awful to do that
1: yeah
0: as you were talking I was like oh my gosh that's me
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's definitely me as well (laughs) I've I've come
0: to the place of consume less just consume less
1: yeah Um, yeah
0: And then you don't have this issue um, to have to get rid of things.
1: (laughs) Right, right. That really is, I think, a better solution is to consume less.
0: Yeah. Start at the start. (laughs) Don't create the problem.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So how else might this show up at work? I was sort of thinking in terms of, um, you know, a lot of people sort of handwrite notes and then transfer them to electronic these days, but then they don't <laughs> want to get rid of their notes. So then they have these electronic notes, but then they have these piles of paperwork and things.
1: Yeah, that makes me think of uh, another kind of like psychological mechanism that I, I can see amongst people with um, the the clinical uh quote unquote holding disorder is is the fear yeah or some deep anxiety about things going wrong and wanted to prepare for what ifs. Yeah. And that I I can relate to that in, in my own work as well. You can, especially in the US, you you have very complicated um, Texas, you have very, very strict laws to, to, to um, manage practitioners. And each state has different laws. And like there's just kind of like a general atmosphere in the air. You just feel like you cannot relax. You have to prepare for any kind of audits. Yeah. And so there's just a very strong sense of fear that's driving this behavior of saving
0: yeah yeah Yeah. the similar stuff um you know our governing bodies there's similar fears I think amongst practitioners here and I think if we link back to what you were saying before about you know stopping and and checking in Mm -hmm. and listening to what's happening Mm -hmm. then we can actually recognize can't we that oh this is actually being motivated by fear Mm-hmm. perhaps there's mm-hmm. a different way I can be with myself so I can let some of this stuff go
1: yeah 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 I I think that sometimes when I when I reflect on these things and especially because I'm an I'm, I'm an immigrant so I'm not that familiar with the Texas laws not not that not that I, I I think perhaps people who grew up here they may have similar fear but I just kind of feel like this is this is kind of confusing for me. I'm still learning so that I'm all scared. And so, so something that I noticed, uh, one sometime, sometime, uh, during my, my practice, I realized, Oh, okay. I'm functioning based on fear right now. So let me, let me ask somebody who actually knows to tell me what is the right thing to do and what is unnecessary. Yeah. So, so in that the Texas area, I ask my accountant and in other like note-taking, note-keeping area, I ask my, my other colleagues and see what they do. Yeah. And if I really have doubt, I call the board of psychology to ask them what, what, what's um, too much, what is what you want from me, really?
0: Yeah, yeah. So then you take more helpful action, don't you? You're more grounded right. and take more helpful action.
1: Right, like a yeah. reality, reality
0: check. Yeah, and also knowing that we're not alone in these things. We can reach out for support. We can seek supervision. We can seek kind of information from our governing bodies. Right. You don't have to figure this all out alone, hey? Right. Yeah.
1: Right. yeah.
0: yeah. Any other ways that might be showing up or, or what people might sort of pay attention to so they recognize that these behaviors aren't very helpful?
1: Um, I think another thing that I've I've recently been thinking about, actually, I started to think about this after you reached out to me to say, hey, you want to join my interview to talk about self-care and how is hoarding showing up in professional life in your life? And then I thought, hmm, then I that really triggered my my thinking and that, that really triggered me to start to think about how I'm suffering yeah. in in this line of work that I actually really love. But how can I suffer less so that I can love more or I yeah. can enjoy it more? Yeah. And something that popped up in my head is the kind of like the the wanting to control. Yeah, like I, I now since last year I started to, to to grow my my own group practice, so that that I am I am more responsibilities and I have to take care of the marketing of the the practice and I have to do supervision and take care of different projects in the in the in the practice, and I'm noticing that I because this this was a transition for me. So I I have always been working by myself. And even if I work as a in a in a team, I used to be a postdoc. So as a postdoc, you just have to do everything. Yeah. And and (laughs) you don't have to, anybody to delegate. So I'm I was very used to just doing everything by myself. And that actually I realized that that gave me a great sense of control. And I'm used to having that amount of sense of control. Somehow that makes me feel like like it's not just that work is in control it's my whole life is in control because my work is in control yeah. things go the way that I I want them to go because I do it all
0: yeah. <laughs> and then that comes at that, a cost doesn't
1: it <laughs> oh my god it's so costly yeah so costly yeah and now I realize I just cannot manage doing doing that kind of sense of control I have to let it go yeah. yeah, so that that is something that I'm actually learning right now, how, how to let it go and mm-hmm. how to how to how to embrace other people's creativities. And because because if you delegate, things are not always to uh gonna work the way you imagine it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how can you how can you rely on other people's creativity, their ideas, and appreciate that? And, and actually a lot of times I realize when I ask for help, people people do it in, in a very different way that I would never have thought of. Yeah. But it's it's great because I would never have thought of doing it that way. Yeah. 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 But letting go is something that I have to keep reminding myself.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting the the way you say, you know, the hoarding isn't just about the physicality of things. This sense of hoarding responsibility um, is a really interesting one. And I think I can relate to that, actually. And and what you're saying about this control, I've always been somebody who's done a lot of things by myself. And, you know, my business has changed quite a bit. And I have started, you know, having other people. I outsource some of my work,
1: Mm -hmm. Have
0: people doing things. And like you say, it is this letting go of it It has to be done my way. Um, And it's okay if it's done another way. And actually, sometimes it's better that it's done another way. They they have skills that I don't have. Um, But that constant checking in and and recognising what is motivating this and what am I trying to hold on to that I don't need to hold on to.
1: Right. Yeah. Right
0: right it's a process isn't it it's an ongoing process let go and then let go again yeah. yeah yeah
1: it really is an ongoing process and and like i i started to notice that i need to let go because because i am the first thing that that i became aware of was resentment i started to feel like i'm working too hard i don't have a holiday when i see people posting their holidays on facebook I feel jealous yeah. and, and I feel resentful. Why am I doing everything by myself? And then I said I thought, hey, but you are the one that makes yourself doing everything yourself. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like, oh, well, if I'm responsible for doing everything myself, that means I'm also responsible for delegating tasks exactly. to other people as well. I get to do that bit. Exactly. I think if we, we think about designing our work lives, um, our businesses in the way we want to do that, knowing mm-hmm. that actually we can. Right. Can, you know, right. I guess if you if you're working for somebody else, it's it can be different. And that might be a conversation you need to have with your employer around how can we do this differently? But if certainly if you're working for yourself, I remind myself that, you know, this is one of the reasons I work for myself. So, right. I can actually design things the way I want them to be, right. And create a lifestyle that actually is what I want to be living
1: right, right. Yeah. And I noticed that that because my my current growing pain is about about growing this this mm-hmm. uh, group practice. however, the what you just said about if if you work for some somebody else, then then you talk to your employees employer, but I that reminded me actually that happens in therapy sessions too. a lot of times, well, I can only speak for myself. I can feel like I am like taking on more responsibilities from my client yeah. than helpful. yeah, I can feel like like I'm dragging somebody along
0: yeah
1: and that that actually is not helpful and <laughs> And it comes from a good place that I want to help,
0: but
1: it really doesn't help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really beautiful awareness. It's (laughs) that sense of responsibility can leak into our clinical work.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And at the end of the day, we don't want to be working harder than our clients are working. We want the clients to be doing that because it's their life that they're doing the work for.
1: Yeah yeah and they they have the wisdom who yeah. says my wisdom is the right wisdom for them Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Maybe, maybe my job is to take a step back and and have more so that in the therapy room there will be more space for them to show up absolutely yeah. 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 yeah yeah so one of
0: what, one of the One of the favourite things that um, Paul Gilbert says, well, one of my favourite things that Paul Gilbert says is think with your clients, not for your clients.
1: Oh, Oh, love it. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: And I think that speaks to this when we we take responsibility and we take over is we're thinking for our clients. It's almost like the we know best and that's not how it should be. Hey, we we really want to be able to help the clients access their own wisdom. Right. You know, right. tune in that like we were saying before about this slowing down, tuning in, checking in, what am I feeling? Why would I be feeling this? How does it make sense? What would be the right. next helpful step? We want clients to leave therapy and have these skills to do this for themselves. So I think thinking right. with your client, not for your client. Right, right.
1: Yeah. You want to empower them. Yeah. And and I I even think that. Empower is even not the right attitude. It's it's as if they don't already have ta- power, you have to empower them. Yeah. I think now I'm thinking out loud right now, it, it, it's probably more appropriate that we help them connect or reconnect with yeah. their power.
0: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. For me, I, I always come back to this thing my job is helping the client understand understand why they think the way they do, why they behave the way they do, how it all makes sense, mm-hmm. um, and and help them change their relationship with themselves. Right. Yeah. So important, the relationship with yeah. themselves part. And now I'm going to have in my mind as well, help them build their internal cushion. <laughs> I love that. Got, it just gives me this sense, you know, hugging onto this little cushion that's all kind of soft <laughs> and... Nice and comforting. It's beautiful. Um, so, Jay Ying, what, what's been the best piece of advice you've received in re- regards to navigating being a helping professional? Because it can be
1: challenging, hey? Right. Well, I really feel very grateful for my, my path, um, this development as a psychologist. And I've received so many very valuable and very timely Advice and guidance, but one that very frequently comes back to me again and again and again is when I was um, like when I first came to UCSF to do my postdoc. That was like I I was totally foreign and I s- spoke with an accent and I looked very young and so. When, um the population that I worked with are in their sixties and seventies. Yeah. And one of the, the first cha- first very big challenges that I encountered was a couple of clients um, said to me, in my face saying, you look too green. I don't want to work with you. Mm. And I was taking it very hard and I, I had a very hard time accepting it. I felt angry. I felt misunderstood. I felt disrespected, and I, I, with a lot of feelings, I would talk to my my boss at the at the time. Um, she she's a psychiatrist, and her name is Carol Matthews. She was the the leader of this um, this clinical trial, and she just very calmly said to me, "It's not about you. It's not about you," like the what they are really saying is can you help me yeah it, it's what they are the words say you are too young but actually reading between the lines yeah. that means can you help me I yeah. want to know if you can help me yeah. yeah and so that that was very powerful for me I think that was the right time for me to to receive that message yeah. and just that then it's not about me kind of like oh I don't have to be in entangled in that in that suffering I can actually come back out of that mess and then then show up as my powerful self and say yeah I look young and I can help you
0: yeah. <laughs> oh that's beautiful and I tell you they must be really powerful words because in a different context I have heard the same thing. Deborah Lee came out to do some training over here in Australia, and we went for dinner afterwards. And I was talking about wanting to do more training and workshops, but that I was feeling very anxious. Mm-hmm. And Deborah looked across the table at me and just said, "It's not about you." And I actually at first felt like, "What?" Yeah. And she said, "It's not about you. It's about what you're offering to other people." That has been one of the most powerful things that's been said to me in my life. Oh, it allows me to let go of this kind of anxiety around, ooh, right. well, it's not about me. It's about what I can offer. Right. It's about what other people need to hear. Right. And I think, you know, for you to hear that from Carol, it's not about you. It's about what the client is asking. It's the fears of the client. Right. Is I'm I'm suffering. Are you able to help me? Right. Yeah,
1: right. yeah, yeah.
0: Two brilliant women telling us wonderful words. Let's yeah. take a moment to thank them both.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah! <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah,
0: goodness, it's not about you, right? We should all hold
1: that in mind, hey? Right, right. Yeah, I think that that still applies sometimes now. That even I, 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 I have aged. I don't look as young, as green as I used to be. But there are still moments in kind of different context, like such as when I said that I can get into this, like feeling responsible and wanting to drag the clients along, that kind yeah. of more. This same, it's not about you, still applies.
0: Yeah.
1: It's in different meaning. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not about me. It's about yeah. the client. Yeah, because I think sometimes as
0: therapists, we can get into that sense of having to prove that we're good therapists. You know, I speak right. to, when I'm doing supervision, I, it's this sense of what, what's going on for you in that moment. Right, you know, right. The threat system gets activated. It's like, I've got to prove that I'm a good therapist. Well, actually, no, it's not about you. Right. <laughs> so I think we right. can just use this phrase. This could be like right. the catchphrase for life.
1: <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah. Except when we are thinking about the challenges that we experience as therapists in terms of taking care of ourselves. And then it is about us. So what I'd like to ask you in that is what do you find are the biggest challenges that you face in terms of taking care of yourself as a practitioner?
1: Hmm. I think that the, the biggest challenges that, or I should say the the challenge that I am learning and exploring, in terms of how to improve, is I realize that I take emotions of my clients and put it in my body.
0: Yeah,
1: I don't find myself at the, in the middle of the night thinking about what they say. That 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 does not have happen very often to me, yeah. but every night at the end of the day, I can feel different parts of my body is very much aching. Yeah. Yeah. And I can even sometimes sense that in in the moment of a a difficult conversation or in the moment of somebody sharing something, like my body is very actively working, not just my mind or my mouth. It's not. It's not a, a just a talk therapy. It's my whole body is yeah. helping, and I have better ways to release things in my mind. But I'm still learning ways to release tension in my body.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have particular things that you do?
1: Yeah, there are a couple of things that I I've been exploring lately. Um, one thing is Alexander techniques. Mm-hmm. So I, for for those who are probably not familiar with the techniques, I, I, I can only say from a, like from my, my very like not an insider kind of dis- description, I think that Alexander techniques is how, how you can learn to examine how you hold your posture, yeah. how you use your body and, and checking in and to see where you are using more effort than necessary yeah and i i work with a with a teacher once a month and she she i tell her what what's been bothering me and then she said well let's do this practice and then we do different kinds of exercises to to help me um, gain awareness of how i use my body and we, we even try to sit at the desk, I would usually sit to to meet with my clients and imagine, like trying to remember a session that was stressful or intense, and then think about think about that, and then I tell her what my body's doing. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. just gaining some awareness of how my body has been like without me knowing, trying to help, yeah. and how I can let my body know, hey, you you can relax, you're fine thank you for your help but but let's relax and and we are all good the client is also safe so we don't have to be in a fight or flight mode yeah I
0: think you make a really good point because it isn't just about what we're thinking and saying in therapy we as a whole person are in that co-creating with our clients I mean gosh we could do a whole other episode on this maybe maybe we will (laughs) later but I think it's really important I think that's great awareness for you to actually recognize that you are having these these feelings in your body this tension in your body I know for me recently I, I think you know with the all the stuff with the pandemic and just different bits and pieces I've been on a bit of a break um mm. some annual leave but what mm-hmm. I've noticed is I'm just um intuitively dancing mm. in the house I'm not even yeah. consciously going oh I'm going to dance now my body is actually releasing stress for me in this really intuitive way it's actually quite fun like (laughs)
1: oh I'm so excited I'm so glad that you mentioned this because another practice that I've been doing for a couple of years now is also this kind of intuitive or aesthetic dance it's called five rhythms so there's no instruction to tell you how you should what kind of moves you should do but you you it's a practice for you to be in tune with your body and let your body speak. Yeah. And the body has its own intelligence and knows how to heal itself. Yeah. And that's the
0: thing. It just happens. It's fantastic. We have those classes in Brisbane, actually. I was thinking oh, of giving that a go. You I should
1: definitely give it a go. Yeah,
0: fantastic. Oh, well, I'll let you know how I go with that. But in the meantime, I do my own five rhythms in my yes. house. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And just let your body do and shake and move the way it needs to because I right. always feel great afterwards. Right. It's like right. the body knows it's holding on to stuff that's perhaps not so helpful.
1: Right, right. And we can think, think, think how to help yeah. it, but just we just need to let go and give it space yeah. and don't try to go <laughs> it.
0: So again, that letting go. Exactly. keeps coming up, doesn't it? This let go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So why don't you tell us a bit about any projects that you're currently working on? Because I know you, you're a busy lady and you you like to, like you say, you like to
1: hoard, hoard your projects. <laughs> 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 well, do do we have another hour? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe give us your top ones.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually two two, three things <laughs> come to my mind when I when I knew that that you asked me. Uh, to share one one thing is that I would like to mention that um, there's this workshop coming up it's about anger power and love that that um, I will be co-leading with uh, Chris Fraser and Isabel LaBeouf I'm not sure if I say her last name right that's French I don't know if I pronounce it right but we will be doing a workshop exploring Um, anger um, as a starting point because we have so much stigma attached to this this human emotion anger Mm. we are either afraid of it or we think that we never experience it or Mm. we try to suppress it and a lot of times anger is a very good messenger to help us to understand where our boundaries are yeah And when we are in touch with our boundaries, when we are in touch with our feelings, that actually is we are in touch with our power. And this kind of power is not the kind of power that's like dominating or like trying to like political power kind of like use it to 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 oppress other people. The power that we are trying to help clients or help our participants to discover is their internal wisdom. Yeah. Where they are, where their strength is. Yeah. And then we're also talking about how how this can help us connect with people um, in a very harmonious but still authentic way. Mm-hmm. And how can we build love from that standpoint?
0: Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. And Chris and Isabel are wonderful too. I'm sure that would be great.
1: Right, right. So we'll be offering this on Zoom, and it's going to be uh, in October. It's going to be four uh, Saturday mornings in San Francisco, midday in the East Coast of the U.S., and um, early evening in UK. Any anywhere on, on the Earth. Yeah. If you can log into Zoom, you can participate.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So that's the first thing. <laughs> And the second thing is this um, is a big thing that I've been um, doing this better treatment for hoarding group. And that's we are recruiting participants who have hoarding challenges um, who live in California to join our our compassion focused therapy group or cognitive behavioral therapy group. And so if you know anybody who needs help with hoarding, this is uh, please contact um, my team and maybe I can share how our contact information later. And so it's gonna be online and it's 20 week groups. So that's something that we've been working on and we collect uh, data from clients and ask if they would let us use their de-identified information, uh, de-identified data to do research um, on these modalities of treatments. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so these are the the two main things. That's fantastic. So what's
0: one piece of advice you might share with our listeners?
1: Mm, I'm I'm actually looking at my note now. Um, I I thought I would share that um, I kind of find that that Clients come to come to us not totally randomly. Some somehow not to be totally mysterious or ooh ooh, but somehow I kind of feel like the universe has its its plan, and so you draw the people who are meant to be working with you during a certain period of, uh, of time to to your your practice at least that's has been my experience and sometimes i feel that when when i take care of myself when i honor my process mm. and give myself space to work through something internally in me and somehow somehow my clients changed without me directly directly working on some things with them it's kind of mysterious, but I kind of feel like there's some, if soul connection, if you will, like yeah. like you, you are working with a group of souls, and then when you work through something, somehow, somehow it kind of encourages other people in their yeah. process. It can be totally different things, but often I feel like when I give myself a break, when I decide, okay, I'm gonna take five days off, yeah, and I'm just gonna be meditating i'm just gonna be taking long walks i'm just gonna be taking care of myself and i like my thinking mind would think okay when you go back to then seeing your clients they are gonna be in such crisis because you neglected them they're gonna have a lot to talk about but when i come back they often tell me you know what something interesting happened something just shifted or that thing that bothered me does not bother me as much now. There's something else that I'm thinking about. It feels like that that interconnectedness, yeah. that young description is somehow in work, in work there that yeah. we don't know, taking yeah. care of you, taking care of everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we do that, when we take care of ourselves and we show that to our clients, we're modeling as well. Mm -hmm. but it's okay to take care of yourself right you know I remember a client one time I when I was at the height of my chronic illness I had to cancel sessions and um, I can remember her saying to me thank you so much for that it really showed me that it's okay for me to not do things when I'm sick oh I've been so distressed about oh I've got to cancel clients again this is bad And actually, it it really helped me reframe of like, no, it's when I take care of me, when I behave in certain ways, I'm modeling this to other people as well.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly, when we set our boundaries, it's also modeling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we can't (laughs) underestimate that, you know, that the work we do for ourselves is work we do with our clients because they see it. Right. You know, right. they experience us being authentic. They experience us taking care of ourselves. They experience us putting boundaries in place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's mm-hmm. learning in itself, isn't it?
1: Right, right. Uh, yeah.
0: So I, I ask this to everybody, Ying. Um, mm-hmm. If you could meet yourself 20 years from now, what do you <laughs> think your future self would say to you?
1: Oh... Um. Yeah, I thought about this question. Um, my my anxious self right now would say answer that question. Say twenty years later, self would say, "Would say you should have been doing that more and this less." And so I'm. So that makes me feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm making the right decision. Prior to prioritizing the right things, and then when I am more relaxed and more like. Like grounded, I would imagine my my future self would say to my current self, saying, Well, you you had a lot of fun doing everything. And you had a lot of fun, whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision, right thing to prioritize or not, you were experiencing your life. Uh. That was exciting
0: oh that's beautiful but isn't it interesting the tricky mind the anxious self jumps in I want to speak first I want to speak first because right. <laughs> right. if I don't something bad might happen
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> gosh I mean it just happens doesn't it it's like boom here I am right. Right. That, that's so beautiful that you are experiencing your life you're having fun whether that was the right priority or not you were engaging in your life because we right. can't always know can we we can't always know no um oh that's beautiful that's beautiful so finally if people want to find out more about you or get in touch where Mm -hmm. can they find you and engage with you and your work you mentioned some stuff earlier and put that in the show notes depending when this goes to air will will depend whether that coincides But how's the best
1: way to get hold of you I think maybe the best way to get off me and have most of the information would be my website or my practice website. Our our um, website address is sfcompassion.com. Fantastic. So and S-F-Compassion.
0: we'll put that in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah. And from there, you can get my email address and my phone number. And we have my YouTube channel on um, that website. So I think that's the best way.
0: Oh, fantastic. Because you've got a whole series on compassion-focused therapy for hoarding, haven't you, on YouTube?
1: Right. Yeah. yeah
0: we forgot yeah. to mention that.
1: That was recorded last year since the, the pandemic started. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, it's great. so nice to to speak with you, Heidi.
0: Oh Jiaying it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for all your wisdom and your openness it's been really lovely and I think it'll be really helpful for people that are listening
1: oh thank you so much I had so much fun
0: (laughs) you take care
1: you take care too bye bye
0: thank you for sharing this time with me today I hope your time here was helpful and supportive If there has been something in this episode that you have found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd like to leave a review wherever you tune in. Reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated, as I know they take time out of your day. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode airs, Please use the link in the show notes to join my mailing list. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself, and may you go well and go gently.